Well, hey there, folks. Welcome to another episode of the Survival Podcast. It will be the uh, the last kind of variety show of 2021 today. We're heading into 2022. I saw an interesting little thing recently. It was uh, like a meme, and it said something like, and it was some guy freaked out. I don't remember. Uh, I think it was from Seinfeld. It was the picture it was from. And it said, when you figure out that uh, 2022 is pronounced 2020 and then the word T-O-O, right, also. So like a repeat of 2020. We'll talk a little bit about why that actually may be the case, but it's more like 2021-2, I think, than 2022. Um, we got a bunch of stuff to talk about today, and I am just stalling a little bit on the live feed to watch people's kind of come in after they get the notification or what have you that we are live so that they don't miss too much. Anyway, I got a bunch of stuff to chat with you guys about today. Uh, first up, though, I do want to remind you that uh, even though we we actually lost the opportunity to interview uh, Kingsley and Aaron from Float last week, they will be here tomorrow. And so if you want to uh, ask any questions uh, to, the, to the head of the ship over there at Float, tomorrow will be a good day to uh, make the live stream. I expect these uh, two shows we're doing this week, plus the, uh, the holiday special on Wednesday, to have a little bit less... Um, Less uh, activity as far as like the live feeds and all. A lot of people are on vacation this weekend also. Those of you who are here uh, on the live stream or those of you listening to the audio this week, um, while you're either off or dabbling around or still stuck at work or whatever, I thank you for taking your time to be with us uh, this time of year. I know there's a lot of other things to be looking at. Uh, we have some wish wishes of uh, Merry Christmas in the live feed from Verticaller. I guess that's how we say that. And a uh, nice compliment here from Elaine saying I look good. Thank you, Elaine. I, I am trying to look good, as good as possible. I need to get the hairs cut again, but other than that, uh, we've done a, a pretty good job of keeping the weight off over the years uh, since we've made the keto journey. I was going to talk a little bit about keto today, decided not to. Got a lot of stuff, so let's dig on into it. And uh, let me make sure we're muted over here. So what I want to start out with, to me, this is... Uh, you know, probably as dark as we'll get today almost. Uh, but it's just, this is something that recently popped up in my feed. And it's what New York has on the docket, New York State has on the docket, to try to pass in 2022. And I'm going to read this for those of you that can't see it, but I've got it up on the screen for those that are in the live feed. Assembly Bill uh, A... 8378 forced COVID shot mandates to attend school. Uh, Bill A279A S75A forces all adult vaccine records into a state database. Bill A7829 S6495 forced COVID shots to go to college. Bill A2240 slash S45 forced flu shots to attend school and preschool and daycare. Forced flu shots. Assembly Bill A8398 eliminates religious exemptions for work and college. Bill A3091 uh, eliminate parents' consent to shots when a child reaches 14 years of age. So when your kid's 14 and is at school, they can give them the vaccine without your approval. Yeah. Uh, Bill A82, A822 
Eliminates parents' right to consent to STD shots for children at any age. So they can pump your uh, eight-year-old up with the Gardasil vaccine, for instance. And Assembly Member Patrick Burke's upcoming bill to eliminate unvaccinated people's access to health insurance. And Assembly Bill, this is the worst one, A416, allows the governor to imprison without trial anyone she considers to be a threat to public health. I want to be honest with you right from the very beginning here that the last one I gave you, this indefinite detention, anyone the governor deems to be a threat, didn't go anywhere this year, and it was around this year. Probably won't happen, but it could. Most of that other shit I just read probably will. Probably will pass. And these are all things that if you said, these are things that they're trying to do, if you told people that even a year ago, we were well into this crap at that point. You're a conspiracy theorist. You're a conspiracy theorist. This is not somebody's reporting on it that's twisting it. These are actual things that are being lined up in the New York State Legislature to to enforce on the citizens of the state of New York. So I got one question. I don't know if anybody that's here in the live stream lives in New York still, or you know used to live in New York and maybe already left, and then maybe you can answer it a little bit differently. Like, what did it take to get you out? But if you still live in New York, what exactly will it take to get you to leave? And I could expand this to California, too. If, you, if the homeless people are allowed to shit on your front porch and you can't kick them out and you haven't left, I, what will make you leave? I, I really am starting to worry about the people who oppose this shit but yet are staying behind. It's almost like they've completely given up. And I want to dispel a myth that I think a lot of people have, right? You know... And that is that, well, you have to stay and fight. You have to stay and fight. You have to stay and fight. Really? How's that working out? You know the famous quote about doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result? How's that working out? You're not going to change what New York's doing by staying. You're not going to change what California's doing by staying. You're not going to change what Oregon or Washington are doing by staying or Illinois are going to do by staying. You may change what they're doing by leaving. And I want you to think about it this way. If you live in a place that consistently sends big government shitbags to office, that consistently moves in the wrong direction from liberty as far as you see it, over and over and over again, what exactly do you think you're doing to fight by staying there? By continuing to work and contribute to the tax base? By paying your property taxes? by contributing to the economic base and being one of the few producers in a land of total consumption? What, what exactly do you think you're accomplishing? And the answer is you're not accomplishing anything, and they don't care. They don't care. As long as they have a, command, a commanding majority, they don't care. They're not going to care. You can, you can pick it. You can go out and demonstrate. You can march around the Capitol building. You can hold up your little signs. You can say you won't comply. That's all good and well. They don't care. Because they they are profiting from you. You have to understand that every government, every government, good, bad, indifferent, right? Every government, the worst and the best of the worst, right? They're they're farmers. 
They're farmers. And you might be like, farmers? What do you mean they're farmers? Well, they're farmers, and they're farming you. You're the cattle. And they farm you through taxation. Governments are tax farms. That's what they are. That's the only reason they exist. To extract wealth from people and use it to push power over the same people. You pay for your own you pay for your own prison cell. All governments. Texas is not run by angels. Florida is not run by angels. We all have our problems. But states like New York have consistently demonstrated that they are going to continue going exactly the opposite of liberty and they're never going to stop. And the only real meaningful thing you can do to fight back is deny them. Deny them your presence, deny them your money, and let them begin to collapse under their own weight. And they're this close, guys. That's why I'm on this. If you're on the audio and you can't see it, I've got my fingers about a half inch apart. They're this close to collapsing under their own weight. The people leaving these places right now are the most productive people they have. You know, you might think California doesn't care, but when freaking Elon Musk pulls up and moves to Texas with his Gigafactory, and this is not, you know, Elon's great or whatever. I'm just saying, when a, when a literal trillionaire leaves your state, it gets your attention, and it hurts. And we need to get rid of these people. K-Bonk's asking where you can find the information. If you go to the if you go to my float profile, dude, you can find it there. And there's even a link to uh, some of the, the, the legislation. But all those bills are real. You can look them up individually. And there's links in the show notes that we put the audio to all the stuff that we'll talk about today. So that's where I want to start out. I just we 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 gotta we gotta start changing our tactics. You know, I started I started up walking to freedom back in like 2015, with the same concept all the way back then. That the one thing that makes this country truly exceptional. People talk a lot about American exceptionalism in ways that I find to be nonsensical. You're no better than an Italian or a Spaniard or an Australian or an Austrian, folks. You aren't. You're no better, and our politicians are no better. Our politicians are no better. But you're going to get inside politics a spread of people because it's still made up of people. No matter how much control the oligarchs exhibit over those people, there's still going to be a spectrum of people. And the one thing we have is a republic. The one thing we have is a republic. The one thing we have is the ability, like so many have exercised, for people to go, you know what, no more. I'm out of here. And to easily leave and go to another state and change your life completely upside down on its head. Again, I'm just going to say it one more time. My life in 2021 here in Texas is literally no different than it was in 2018. If I want to go somewhere, I go there. I don't wear masks. I don't have one of those stick things in my arm, right? I'm not getting one. No one can make me. I live my life the way that I want to live my life on a daily basis. If you live somewhere where you can't, if there's ever been a time to really think about changing that situation, it's now. It's only going to get worse, and this is, this is why I'm on this. It's not just that I think it works. I know what's going to happen. I know what's going to happen. 
It'll be about a year from now. I'm going to start getting emails like this. Jack, you said get out, get out, get out. And I really wanted to, but I couldn't figure out how. And so I didn't. But things have got so bad now, I've decided that I want to get out. And I can't sell my house. I can't sell my house. I can't get out from underneath it. I'm going to get those emails. Because property values in these places are going to continue to go down. And buyers are going to get harder and harder to find. You know, you don't... And even the investment companies, like BlackRock, you don't buy rental houses in places with declining populations if you know like anything about investing in real estate, do you? You, you, you buy them in, in places with growing populations. It's going to happen, and it's going to be... And your worst five, I mean, there's, there's not even a doubt about this. Your worst five, New York, Illinois, Oregon, Washington, California. If you're in one of those, and there's some other bad ones, okay? Most of New England's screwed, too, by the way. There's some other bad ones, but, yeah. Um, please don't delay on this anymore. Uh, next up, I got some really cool information about the Anarchapulco watch party. So if you haven't heard about this yet, I will be speaking at Anarchapulco this year, and it's going to be a great presentation. I've been starting to work on it already. Uh, I just had a conference with the event coordinators down there on Friday. I originally was slotted to speak on Friday of that week. They've moved me to Thursday. The watch party is Thursday and Friday. The event itself runs from Monday through Friday, but I think things have aligned where we get the two Best days for the watch party. And we'll be watching it here on my 100-inch stream that uh, Aaron Hatch put in for us this fall. It's going to be awesome. Some of you have seen how many upgrades we've made in the studio now out there. Um, and Aaron will be here running all, all the AV stuff and all, like, like always. But the day I'm speaking is the day that's all kind of hands-on, homesteading, prepping, that type of thing, right? So that's right in our wheelhouse. The Friday is crypto day. So those are the two days that we're going to have. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to be selecting um, we're going to be selecting which ones we really want to pay attention to out of the presentations and doing discussions on them and doing some other things as well. The food, we're, we're starting to put that together, and we're coming up with some really cool things. Like I said earlier, we're going to do uh, the second day for breakfast, we're going to be doing uh, uh, eggs and steak and eggs with a Bloody Mary bar just to kind of tell you where we're thinking here, and uh, we'll probably be doing the mimosas the first day. Um, we're going to have Uncle Julio's come in and, and do dinner um, for Friday evening. We haven't decided exactly what we're doing on Thursday dinner yet, but that's probably going to be catered as well. Um, six meals in two days, off-the-hook food, all kinds of really great stuff. But um, I really hope some of you all that maybe have not been able to be here at an event, this is a, like a slower time of year, um, it's going to be a much smaller event. We're only taking 20 people for this, and I expect that means it's going to sell out. So you need to stay in touch with it um, you know, and, and pay attention to what's going on. We're going to probably do what we've been doing with events. We'll put the link out on the Telegram channel, uh, which we'll also put it out in the Telegram group. Um, I think 9 in the morning Saturday, which is the first, the first full Saturday. I'm not sure how it lines out, but the end of the first week of January. Is when we're gonna we're gonna put that out. So stay in touch with it. And I will tell you that I do. Uh, and somebody's asking about float. I did get a message that said we're not 
communicating well with the float server right now. So if you are on float and you're getting that like that, come over to YouTube. It sucks. We'll talk to Kingsley about making it better tomorrow. Um, but yeah, I, I would like to do some stuff here besides just the watch party. I don't want to do like formal presentations or whatever, but I still have my 3D printer in a box, the box it came in. I would love someone who's coming to that to help set it all up and go through, not do a presentation with PowerPoint and that kind of stuff, just like let's literally take it out, set it up, and print some stuff. I think that would be awesome. And if you want to come and you can be the person that does that, I'll give you a discount on your rate and I'll make sure you get to come. I'll give you the chance to sign up before we put it out there and it sells out. So if you would be interested in that, um, just shoot me an email, jack at the survivalpodcast.com. TSPC uh, watch party in the subject line and let me know what your kind of background with 3D printing is and, and what, if you'd be willing to do it and return for a discount and a guaranteed seat. All right, moving on from there, I had an interesting question that came in today in, in email, and it was on cryptocurrency. And uh, it was, what prevents the government or mega corporations from buying up all the Bitcoin telco style? And this person knows my background and said, you know, You were in telecom for a long time. You saw it there. Like, you know, they broke the bells up and it just like all reconstituted like the Terminator. Uh, yeah, I've saw it not only as a, a member of the community, uh, of the telco community, uh, even just as a customer. I, I still have Syrian, uh, not Syrian, what was it? Uh, God, I can't think of the company now. Um, but I still have rollover minutes from the company that we actually had service with when AT&T bought them, right? So, yeah, yeah, it happens in, in telco and all. Here's the thing. The, what prevents the governments from just buying up all the Bitcoin and then crashing the market is reality. It's reality. That's what does it. So you can own all the Bitcoin. You still don't get a say on how the network runs. Miners do that, Okay. Right? And, and there's a huge financial incentive to have lots of people mining all over the world. So you don't get to take over just because you bought most of the Bitcoin. The next thing is, how are you going to buy the Bitcoin from the people that won't sell it? I'm not selling mine. And the more they buy, honestly, the more ours is worth. Right? That's how it works. See, this is where you have to understand... When people use the term digital gold, what they're saying and what they're not saying. They're not saying it literally replaces gold as a physical thing. They're talking about its role in economics, specifically in relation to government. So do you know what gold was always known of historically? And it's why, of course, governments got rid of it. The governor of governments. Since you couldn't just make more, all of this types of attempts at manipulation eventually fail. Well, that's more true, not less true, with something like Bitcoin. Because if the price of gold today, for some reason, skyrocketed uh, $4,000 an ounce, Peter Schiff would be happy, right? My precious, right? He'd be all happy. But you know what immediately would happen? Every gold miner in the world would dig harder, deeper, and faster. That's what would happen. And the supply flow of gold would go up. If you do something like that to manipulate Bitcoin, the exact same amount of Bitcoin is going to get spit out by miners tomorrow as would of any other time. 
And you can have the minors triple, quadruple, you know, quintuple, right? Oct octuple, whatever. I mean, just come up with a Google tuple, right? And you know what? No more comes out. It just gets harder to be the one that wins. You don't get any more. So what is the government going to do? Start buying up all the Bitcoin? Okay. So what does that do for the people that keep the Bitcoin? All you're doing if you do that, right? This is, and this is where it's so counter to the economics that we become accustomed to in our lives. Because most of us have never lived with any meaningful form of a gold standard in our lives. There's a few people old enough that they kind of really have. But most of us, you know, if you're 60 or under, you don't know anything about the gold standard because you never lived with it. You might have heard about it when you were a little kid and you were shitting your pants and you, you thought you understood, but you didn't. Right? So you don't even, you don't, we don't know. I'm fooling myself in that. We don't really know what it's like to live under the gold standard because we didn't. We never did. But if you get into a situation now where government tries to manipulate something that's not only in limited supply, but it's in finite supply, absolute scarcity, the only thing they do is magnify the effect. What happens if some entity goes out and buys 2 million of the 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist. Effectively, you reduce the total circulating capacity of Bitcoin to 18 million. You made it more powerful. Go ahead. I, it, it, it's not a company. It's not like you could, like, it's not like if somebody gets 51% of the Bitcoin, they have 51% of the network. And it's not like if somebody gets 51% of the Bitcoin, they have like 51% of the voting rights and can vote to close down operations. It's not going to happen. I really recommend, and I'll see if I remember, I'll put it in the show notes, but look up, if you've never done it before, Bitcoin obituaries. It's not like 99bitcoins.com, and it's like, you know, it's something like 1,800 times Bitcoin's been declared dead, including yesterday, right? It's not happening, guys. It's not happening. What you see now is a massive co-opting, and we're going to have more stuff on crypto and some real concerns for the alt space that I have. In the long-term future, real concerns, but we'll uh, we'll talk about that, right? Um, next up, uh, I've had a lot of questions about this lately. We hear that there's a huge labor shortage, and I've been, even I've even been asked if it's even true. Is is there really a labor shortage? Yeah, there is. I can't speak for the country. But I can speak for Texas. My wife drug me to some sort of Christmas hellhole giant decorator store. It was like double the size of a Costco, and it was all like home goods and decorations and stuff like that. And because it's Christmas, like a third of the store was dedicated to Christmas trees and stuff. And she wanted a new tree, and she insisted that was the best. And she was right. It was the best place. So we found a tree. She wanted to look at all the other artsy-fartsy crap. I'm like, I'll go get in line. I saw the line already. So I spent over 30 minutes in line. And it went like back and forth like a big giant S-curve. And when I finally got close enough to the cash register, and the plan was when I get close enough to the cash register that you need to worry, I'll text you, and then you can come up with any other crap you have. And uh, when I got to where I could finally see it, I saw the problem. There were three registers open. Now, again, this store is bigger in square footage than a Costco. There were signs up. We will interview you and hire you on the spot with a signing bonus. 
basically, if you don't have a felony record and you'll start now, and you know how, if you like, I, I could even see the, the, the interview being something like, well, do you have any cash register experience? Well, not really. Have you ever used self checkout? Yeah, okay, you're qualified. Like, they were immediately, I talked to uh, the manager of one of my favorite restaurants. He said they're paying $15 to $18 an hour to dishwashers. $18 an hour to wash dishes. They can't get people. They can't get servers. And he said the servers they do have, they're making more money than they've ever made because people are just being fairly generous with tips because they know how hard people are working. And I think in Texas in particular, we're very grateful that we have like a normal life like I talked about earlier. So he's like, you can make money washing dishes. You can make money serving. You can make money bartending. He's like, you can make good money. You can make 30% to 40% more money doing those jobs than, you, than, I, than I was paying people to do them you know, two years ago. So there is a labor shortage. It's not a myth. It's not like some excuse for the other problems, right? And I've seen that and I've heard it pretty much everywhere. But the questions are, what's really causing it? Is it the vaccine mandates? I think it is, and I think it isn't. I think it's a combination of its vaccine mandates, right? I also think that it's it's also the mask mandates. So a lot of these places, even if you're vaccinated, they're making the people who work at these establishments wear masks. And I don't just mean, you know, restaurants and, and bars and stuff like that. I mean stores. I mean office buildings. Like there's all kinds of places. Like you don't have to wear a mask. But the employers are mandating them for the employees, but not the people. Now, I'm just a lot, lot less likely to take a job if you tell me I have to cover my face to do it. You know, if I'm standing in a chocolate factory like I Love Lucy and I'm pulling bad chocolates out and you don't want my beard going in there and I have a little beard, I understand that. But if I'm going to be sitting down at a, a computer programming or I'm going to be delivering somebody a drink and you want me to wear a mask while the people that I'm serving aren't, You can go through. I think that is hurting it as well. I think that, I don't know that there is a thing. I think this is a whole cascade of effects that I wrote a series of articles on about a year and a half ago now. I think homeschooling, uh, Mia is saying moms want to be home to raise their kids. I think that's part of it. I think, I think you're dead on it, Mia, as one of the things that's going on here. I think what's happened is there is more than a doubling in homeschooling now. So there was a short-term one where people were like, it's everybody. Well, they had to, right? But like, the schools have opened back up and all. And, but what happened was most people were forced to homeschool for about two months in 2020. They pretty much closed the schools down in the entire country for the last six to eight weeks in 2020. Parents saw the school quality that their kids were getting. Like, the establishment tried to push it off, and distance learning just doesn't work. And it works great. You should see my granddaughter singing when she's learning with her homeschool program that's all based on distance learning. And happy. And, like, I need to do a little video for her someday and be like, this is what learning is supposed to look like. No, they saw into the classrooms, and they saw how shitty some teachers are. 
Now, I know some people get all butthurt. The teachers are heroes that don't wear capes. Oh, shut up with your propaganda. Seriously. I'm not even putting individual teachers down here, but if 40% of teachers are the bottom 40%, which that's how that works, that's a lot of teachers. And that means that once your kid, like, so, like, it's a double-edged sword, isn't it, right? So let's say my kid is in, like, third grade, has one teacher. Well, I get, I get one of the good teachers, I'm good. But if I get one of the bad teachers, I have a 100% bad teacher. Okay? But when my kids get into, like, junior high and high school and they have multiple teachers, like, it's almost guaranteed that, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of half of them are going to be pathetic, They really, and I mean, judging them by their own standards, not ours. Judging them by the schools, because it is a profession of mediocrity. Because there's no incentive to be better. All you have to do is show up, follow the lesson plan, and do the things you're told, and you keep your job forever. You, and if you do everything better, you're only doing it because you're truly an exceptional person, because you're not going to get paid better. So it is a profession of mediocrity, and I'm sorry, but it is. And any, it's not about teaching. Any profession that works like that will become a profession of mediocrity. Any place in government will become that. Any place where he who does more is compensated the same as he who does less will become a mediocre profession. Even your best people will only try so hard. And entrepreneurs know this. That's why when we have somebody who's not pulling their weight in our organizations... It's not, we don't just fire them because we can't afford to keep them. We fire them so the good people don't throw their hands up and go, you know what, screw this and go somewhere else. But we can't do that there. So the homeschool thing, so many people latched onto it. And then they said, well, how do we keep doing this? And then they did the math and they figured out, you know what, mom or dad, depending on who's the lower income learner, doesn't really make as much money as we thought. Because they were paying for childcare after school or something like that. And they had all other little costs. And they're like, if we eliminate all these costs, then mom or dad that stays home only needs to make 10 or 20%. They find like a part-time job they can do from home. And then they're out of the workforce. That happened in over a million families. That's a lot of freaking people that aren't even looking for a job now. So I think it's, it's this cascading effect, guys. And I, I don't think there's an easy answer to it. But then the other thing is, do you know how many people are getting like $500 a month for their kids? My son is. A lot of, if you don't have kids, you're not really aware of this. But this economic stimulus that Biden did, and it's going to run out at the end of this year, I believe. It failed to get renewed. It was something like a $1.2 trillion bill to renew it. And it was like, no, we're not doing that. So if you have a two-income family... It becomes a one-income family, but they cut their overall costs by doing that and going to homeschooling. And at the same time, the government's chipping in 500 bucks because you know, a lot of the unemployment ran out. But it's you're still it's another $500 subsidy. There's so much of this. There's so many things like this. Plus, people have just figured out, hey, when there's a shortage, I can ask for more before I go back, or I can negotiate working from home. And I love negotiating working from home. It's the number one piece of advice I can give you. If you don't want a business of your own, then negotiate working from home. But there's a lot of jobs that you can't work from home. You can't wait tables and work from home. Can't do it. 
if you're in manufacturing and you have to actually put something together, you have to go to the, the to the factory to do it. There's a lot anything that's like customer focused business where people actually walk in off the street, it has to be done in person. And then even if your part of the job can be done from home, like if it's if it's warehousing and then something ships, like I could totally manage that from home, but somebody has to drive the truck. Somebody has to stock the shelf. Somebody has to pull the order. Now the automation's coming, and this is going to accelerate it. But I think I think it's all of those things. I don't think you can pin it on one thing. But things like the 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 the, the jab mandates. So I'm an employer, and I I say everybody in my company has to get the jab, and I have five thousand people, and two thousand walk out, or I fire two thousand because they say no, which is about the ratio we're getting, by the way. I had a problem. And who am I going to hire? Who am I going to hire? If I've just fired people because they won't get the jab, and most of the people that have a jab have a job or their retirement age or their kids and they're not in the workforce yet, I can't just replace them. And how many companies can do that before you end up in a, you're in the antlion you know, funnel and you're, you're, you're sliding in? And that's why I think this shit does have to end sooner or later, but... There's going to be places where it holds out a lot longer. What's happened is all of your supposed leaders, I call them scumbag politicians, some of y'all call them leaders, um, have, have double, tripled, and quadrupled down on being wrong. And the more times someone doubles down on being wrong, like Peter Schiff about Bitcoin, for instance, the more entrenched in that position, no matter how illogical it becomes. And then the question is, do the people have the courage to remove them? And in a lot of these places I'm telling y'all to get out of, I think if they're removed, they'll be replaced with people who are worse in the same way. Not even worse in a different way, worse in the same way. I think some of these people are, are really, they're for all of this shit. And if they were if they were literally welded into their homes, it wouldn't be good enough for them. They want everybody welded into their home, too. It, it's, it's, it's amazing to me that people allow this. Um... Let's do something a little bit more proactive today. Let's let's get some discussion going here with you guys. Um, I want to talk a little bit about going into a new year. Now, every year we have New Year's resolutions and shit like that, which I think largely are wasted. Go to the gym on January 5th, and there's about 50 fat guys on the treadmill. And go to the gym on February 5th. There'll be one or two not-so-fat guys on the treadmill and everybody else quit. It happens all the time. But I do think this is a good time to start thinking about the things we want to get done going into 2022. And um, I'm wondering, what, what are some of the things that you want to actually get done? What are some of the things you want to, to build on? Because what I'm going to tell you is, if you're thinking, well... What's going to happen is things are going to go more toward normal. The Republicans will take over. Even if that was true, that doesn't even help you out until 2023. Just to put it, like, just to pop that bubble. 2022 is going to be like Groundhog Day. All this shit is going to continue. All this shit's going to continue. All of it's going to be revamped, but it's going to be up to you. Like, what do you want to really accomplish and not in 2022? First quarter, January, February, March. What are your goals as far as skills to develop or projects to complete or what have you? I have a lot of stuff that I'm thinking about. I'm working really hard on, on 
uh, breeding out, not really breeding out, but cloning a bunch of different rare mints that I got my hands on. Like I have a mint that literally tastes like thyme and oregano. It's a mint that tastes like mixed Italian seasoning. I've got one that tastes like iced hazelnuts. And I'm building a small little plant propagation business, and hopefully my grandson will get excited about it and want something to do. If not, I'll run a couple cycles a year and uh, put some more money in my account and invest it in my future. That, that's, that's one example of one thing that I want to do. Uh, Bill says he wants to move to Tennessee. Bill, do it, bro. Do it. There's a lot of good people in Tennessee. Tennessee's one of the states that, that has its shit mostly together. Uh, definitely. Um, whatever it is, I want you to really commit to getting it done. There's a lot of things in my head at all times. Um, I just found a YouTube creator named Dexter. And I think his channel's called Dexter's World. I'll look it up. I'll get it in the audio notes if you want to follow the link over an hour after the live stream ends. But he's... I don't know where he is. It seems like it's probably like Malaysia or Sri Lanka or Thailand or something like that. And he's doing hydroponics and aquaponics and fish farming and bird. He's raising birds and he's raising like parakeets and lovebirds and like expensive pet trade stuff, koi. And even though he's doing, he's doing, um, he's doing hydro for vegetable growth, right? Because when he was explaining what he was doing, at least in the one, I only saw like half of one video so far, so I, I'm not speaking for everything this guy's doing. But he's raising all these koi, and I went to his website, and he like has a, a like an ebook e product and uh, on how to how to breed goldfish and what have you. And I sit there and I look at that, and uh, suburban homestead outfitters must know who he is. He says he does rabbits also. He's got quail. Uh, he's really really cool dude, and like I said it. Uh, I, I might even reach out to interview this guy. It'd be an interesting interview and get a perspective from a different part of the world. But I start looking at this and I, I thought about how many people I know who have gone into aquaponics commercially. I mean, put in half-acre greenhouses, one-acre greenhouses, giant fish tanks, right? And then you talk to them and they say what I always said. Aquaponics is a way to produce a vegetable crop. That's your money. And fish are a byproduct. And how many people I've talked to that have done this that are like, I've never sold a fish. They actually grow so many, so few fish to plate size. They just keep them or they barter them or maybe they sell a few. But there's no money in the fish. The fish are a means to the vegetable production. Because you've got to grow a tilapia to a couple pounds to make it a marketable product. Then you're dealing with, well... How cold does it get where you are? Now you're having to heat the water because if it goes below a certain temperature, they all go tits up and die, right? So now there's another expense. And I was watching this dude's channel today, and I'm thinking, you know what would be really interesting? If you built a uh, aquaponics system, and the fish that you used were something like um, Sanki Shabunkin goldfish. So these are goldfish that look a lot like a koi in their pattern. Sankey means they're three-colored, and you've got like a deep blue in the Sankey. That's even, that's the primo fish. They're expensive. They're extremely hardy. They do not, trust me, boys and girls, they do not give a fuck about cold. They might become really inactive and not produce a lot of nutrient for you in the winter, but I've had them swimming around under like six inches of ice. They don't care. They don't give two shits. Koi as well, but goldfish are easy to breed. Um, I breed the hell out of goldfish. You know how I do it? I, I put goldfish in the pond, and then they breed. 
And like, okay, now wait a minute. What if you're doing an aquaponics business, but the fish you're producing are being sold into the pet trade? So if you have a two-inch tilapia, you have nothing, right? If you have a two-inch high-grade sonky goldfish, you got like 12 bucks. If you have a high-end koi, you have anywhere between, you know, what you think is high-end, but it's really like $9 or $10 fish, to fish that are worth thousands of dollars. And it's all about getting good at what you do. But that just kind of like, how many things are sitting out there like that that we don't even realize the opportunity that exists? You know, especially if you have a fairly active metro area and somebody that's like a large-scale pond installer that puts in these really expensive, beautifully landscaped backyard oasis-type ponds, and they always want koi and that kind of partnership. Um, spreading out and diversifying. Remember, when you're marketing a product, everybody thinks you want to market to the need. You want to market to the want. If you go in the business of growing cheap lettuce, you will go bankrupt. You can't beat a corporate farm. You grow you know, beyond organic produce or aquaponics produce or something like that, and you market that, you're selling to a different demographic. They're buying what they want. They need food, but they want better food. So you sell to the want. And so when you're selling something like a koi that's a $50 fish, no one needs it. And so if you can diversify in that portfolio, there's a lot of things we can be looking at doing in the coming years. Not everything needs to be about survival, right? We can talk about thriving, too. I think that's really important. Um, next up, and I just want to reiterate before we move on, 2022 is going to look exactly like this year unless you change it. That's why I spent so much time on that segment. It's not going to get better. It's not going to return to normal. They're not going to stop shoving booster shots at you, etc. If you want normal in your life, whatever normal means for you, you're going to have to take it. You're going to have to grab it, and you're going to have to beat its ass. And if you don't do that, I'm telling you, man, right now, it's, uh, it's not going to happen. I am, just for those on the audio, I'm about to bring up a screen share, and I'll describe it to you in a second, and it will slow things down a little bit. But... A lot has been made, and I talked about this, I guess, last week. Elon Musk was doing an interview, and I've got a video of it up on the screen right now. Uh, this was part of something the Wall Street Journal does every year. They bring in all these big-time business leaders. And Elon said that the government was simply the largest corporation with a monopoly on violence where you have no recourse. And I said, of course, we should give a shout-out to Pete Quinones on that, since monopoly on violence, that seems to be really his thing that he came up with a term uh, for, for describing government. But I uh, encouraged you back then, go find this interview and listen to the whole thing. It's about 30 minutes long. If you want to do that now, it's on my Odyssey channel. You can go listen to it. And there's a couple things in this. One, the labor shortage we spent so much time on about the beginning, he's pointing this out too, and he's basically saying that if we don't get some shit straightened out, we're going to see civilizations collapse. And I don't think he's wrong. Again, I'm not a super Elon fanboy, but when a man's right, a man's right. What I liked better about this, though, is in every single instance that this woman doing the interview was pushing the glory of government... Right, he pushed back and basically said no. 
They, now, now, they asked him, they're like, so, you know, with the infrastructure bill, though, there's some really good things in there for electric vehicles. Don't, isn't Tesla excited about that? And he literally just said, no. She's like, is there anything in it you're excited about? He said, no. Nothing. And as he beat the shit out of government, she kept trying to move along. She would be like, you know, we want to make sure we get all our questions taken care of today. And he's like, well, I can stay a little bit longer if you want me to. She's like, but we have other people in other time slots. And like, she kept pushing through. And every time she pushed through, she, you could tell that this, this person has a love for government. And she kept trying to get anything good out of it. And it was like trying to pull a crocodile's teeth while it's eating a wildebeest. It worked out about that well for us. So I recommend that you consider taking a look at it. Um, I also wanted to talk about this crap. Let me bring this one up for you. The potato salad in chief, as I call him, some call him Brandon, um, issued a statement about the scary Omicron COVIDs variant. And this is what they actually put in print. This is a statement from the President of the United States to the people of the United States. To me, this is far more unhinged than, than even people criticizing are giving it credit for. And it is disturbing. Exact quote in the middle of this. For the unvaccinated, you are looking at a winter of severe illness and death for yourselves, your families, and the hospitals you may soon overwhelm. And of course, right before that, he says, we, we are intent on not letting Omicron disrupt work and school for the vaccinated. You've done the right thing, and we will get through this. Oh, how many ways can I slaughter this? First of all, I'd, I'd like to know, and somebody's saying, let's go, Brandon. Yeah, let's get that up. Let's get... Let's get that up on the screen. We've got a ticker going across now. Let's go Brandon, right? Um, are, is there anybody listening to this right now? That, you know, If they keep saying things like that, and if you've chosen not to get the jab for whatever reason, you're going to be like, oh, shit, I didn't know. Oh, shit, I, I, okay, I'm going to go do this, right? I don't think that encourages anybody. I think anybody at this point who has declined is not likely to accept. Plus, how many people here have had the COVIDs? Right? And I don't mean you think you did. How many people know they had it? I know we did. I know because Dorothy got pretty sick. Dorothy went to the doctor. Dorothy got tested. Dorothy got a positive result. I came down with symptoms. We did a home test for me. I came up positive. It wasn't a huge deal. There was a few things that we had to do for her to help her get through it, and we did those. But why would I even? Why would this even apply to me now? When the CDC and WHO were asked to produce credible people who had double infections, had it, got over it, and got it again, and got sick the second time, spread it, they couldn't find anybody. So this doesn't even apply to me. Even if it was true, which it isn't, it doesn't apply to me. So, what is the purpose of this? What is the See, government, as stupid as government is, as incompetent as the potato salad in chief is, there are semi-competent people formulating these messages. Anything they say, they say for a reason. Now, you absolutely know, this is not going to move the needle on people saying, okay, I'll go do it now. 
If this was a month in, maybe there's some people that are weak-minded and a little bit of fear will push them over the edge. But I think anybody right now, this, like, this shit's been going on for over two years now, and I'm good. It's like, I'll stay good. I don't need your thing. I've got it. I'm on my own. So why would you do this? Because they want to scare people from not the COVIDs, each other. Every single thing these people have done all the way through has been about making us each other's enemies. That's why you have St. Fauci telling people, don't, don't invite people to your house if they haven't. You've got to know their vax status before they come to your house. Screw off, troll. I don't need you. I don't need you. People of the world do not need you. Go away. They're doing it to divide us, and that's what you need to see. And it's, it's worse than you think it is. And what if I told you that there's a reason that refugees, etc., are not getting the jab, and it's probably not what you think it is? This is on Reuters, for those that can't see it. What did that pop up? Right? Right there in the center of the screen. Refugees lack COVID shots because drug makers fear lawsuits. Documents show. Now, we all know it's the case, I hope by now, that if I go get any one of these jabs, right, and I get really sick, I get Guillain-Barre, I have some sort of reaction, I get myocarditis, I die, I lose a limb, anything like that. What happens to Pfizer or Moderna or Johnson & Johnson or Merck or whoever made the, the jab uh, dose? Nothing. I can't sue them. They're protected. And that's not. And most of what's going on in this article, if you go read it later, is not about the United States refugees. It's about refugees in Europe. And I think a lot of people don't know, a lot of these other you know, modernized Western countries, they have this same protection for these mega corporations. Maybe it's not exactly the same, but one way or another, that there's a layer of government between the person injured and the person who made the product that injured the person. There's a protective layer there. And this is on Reuters. This is not like you know some sort of right-wing rag or something, right? This is as mainstream as it gets. Now, if you read it, the contention is, well, what we need to do... We need to figure out how to provide them protection so that we can get these people, you know, all jabbed up. But it does say something, doesn't it? So you got this, there's the same companies that say this is perfectly safe, don't want it used on a group of people that they're not protected from being sued from. Pretty interesting. But you should go out and get your fourth one. Maybe your fifth. Interesting. No, not me. Um... Now, the last one I wanted to put up on the screen with you guys today. This is just something that I, you know, I saw this over the weekend, and I was like, man, this is just something that we need to all think about here. So I made this little graphic, little meme, and it's a picture of Stripe from the Gremlins, the old Gremlins, the 1980s Gremlins, the Christmas Story Gremlins, right? Um... And I won't go into what Gremlins is if you've lived under a rock your whole life and you don't know, but if you don't, you should go watch the original Gremlins. But I have this picture of Stripe there, and he's like the bad Gremlin, right? And it says, I'm pretty sure that this is my spirit animal. 
And I actually started thinking about it, and I did it just as a joke. But guys, gals, should we be gremlins? Think about what gremlin has come to mean, right? Like when you have problems in a mechanical system or in uh, an engineered solution or in software, you say it's gremlins messing things up, right? Maybe not. Should we be gremlins? Are we already gremlins? And the machine that we are gremlining, if gremlining is a word, is it a verb, right? Is the state. Like, I think that that's like what we need to start thinking of ourselves as. Gremlins to the state. Estates systems and the oligarchs systems. And there's a million ways we can do that. And I, I see a t-shirt in this somewhere. <laughs> if not a t-shirt, a morale patch, something like the gremlin brigade or something. I don't know, man. Uh, I think that's something you just kind of fall on. And uh, I'm about ready to start taking hey, questions and input from the audience. If you guys have any questions or thoughts for me, something you want me to speak on, please put it in all caps. We're at like 52 minutes. I'll hang out for about another 20 if people uh, want to do that. The Gremlin Ant. Yeah, that's it, man. We are the Gremlins and the Ants. Um, and I, I, I do want you guys to start really thinking about where we're headed and realize how much control you have over that. I think that there... There's so much bad news out there. You know, and that's why I don't cover it. If you want bad news, just turn the TV on, turn the radio on, turn on most podcasts that go into the type we talk about, right? Like, it, 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 there's so much of it. And I don't think things will just get better. I think we're going to have to make them better for ourselves. But I think that the biggest thing that they've done to demotivate people from doing that is they've convinced you that you can't. That they are in control, not you. I, I challenge anybody to tell me what you really want to do. And then not have me be able to tell you that you can do that if you really want to. Now, if, you, if your goal, like, you know, one of my goals I make jokes about that I really would like to do someday is have so much money. Like I can buy a small island, turn it into the nation of Jackistan, a.k.a. fuck offistan, and go live there and tell the rest of the world to go screw. Well, that's a money problem. Okay, so if you want to, you know, open up a factory that's going to cost nine million dollars in capital to open, I can't tell you where to get nine million dollars with capital from, but I can tell you it can be done if that's what you really want to do. Most of you don't have anything that difficult you're trying to accomplish. The, the The question is, are you willing to to do the work necessary to get what you want and stop using how bad things are as an excuse for why you can't? Because if you're not willing to do that, 2022 isn't going to be the same. I kind of lied to you when I said it'd be the same. It'll look the same. It's going to be worse. It's going to be worse. And again, if you've got questions or comments or anything you want me to talk about, throw them in all caps. How's it going to be worse, though? Because your dash is getting shorter. That dash between the year you were born and the year you'll eventually die, every year that dash gets shorter. People talk about opportunity cost. So if I have my money tied up in a thing for five years, I, use the, I lose the opportunity to do other things with that money during that five-year period. And if that money is subject to something like inflation, it gets whittled away. So I might have $10,000 tied up for five years, and if the investment that it was tied up in doesn't pay off and I end up back where I started, 
maybe that $10,000 is only worth like $7,000 or $6,000 now in real spending capacity. So I lost what I could have done with it otherwise for the five years, plus I eroded its underlying monetary value. That is happening. That is happening big time in your life, whether you know it or not. Danielle says, didn't you mention someone that helps with relocation to Texas? I don't know. I don't know anybody that helps with relocation to Texas in particular. I would tell you that anybody looking to relocate need only to get involved with like our MeWe groups, our Discord, and our Telegram. And I guarantee you, wherever you're thinking about, there's people that live in that place in those communities. How much help they'll give you, I don't know. But they'll help. They'll definitely help. Um, I would say the thing about relocating specifically right now to Texas and Florida is the number one thing that prevents people from being able to relocate is a job. If you can get a job that pays the bills, you can move. Even if it's not a perfect job, as long as I can get into a spot and then I can try to find a better job long term or start a business or whatever. And the beauty of Texas and Florida right now, if you can't get a job here, you don't want one. Now, again, I don't mean a perfect job. But when you can make 18 bucks an hour washing dishes, you can figure some stuff out on how to make things work. There's plenty of money to be made here doing all kinds of things while you figure that out. Um, will automation worsen the labor situation as in jobs start disappearing? Well, right now, that wouldn't be a problem, would it be? Right now, if we could fill the void with automation, we'd, we'd fix the labor shortage. I don't know that we can. There's a lot of jobs we can automate away, and there's a lot of jobs we really can't. I actually see a lot of situations where I see, for instance, restaurants refusing to do basic automation, and I think it's a huge mistake, and here's what I mean. If I simply take, if you guys that have seen the kiosks they put on your table at a restaurant, and you still have a server, and the server comes out and takes your main order, but where does the breakdown always happen in service for you guys that, that, like me, like to go out and eat at nice restaurants and stuff like that? For me, it breaks down two places. Generally, I'm a two-drink kind of guy. Not a three, because, you know, you got to get home and what have you. But I'm kind of a two-drink kind of guy. So usually you sit down. The waiter shows up or the waitress shows up pretty quickly, takes that first drink order, maybe an appetizer order and, and, and all that, and then they take your meal order. Somewhere in there you want a second drink. Breaks down, doesn't it? And then the other place it breaks down, even if that didn't happen, they do a great job, bang-up job. All I need from you now is my freaking check so I can pay my freaking bill and tip your ass and get out the door. I want to leave now, which turns the table over, which lets you serve more people. And where are they? Gone like a fart in the wind. So you put that little kiosk on there and lets you do two things. Or, well, actually three things that I see most of them do. Order dessert never affects me, but a lot of people it does. Order dessert. It lets you order another round of drinks. It lets you pay your freaking bill. I don't have to. See, once I'm happy, I don't have to see you again. Boom, boom, out the door. Just tipped you 25% because you did a good job. Don't know where you are. You'll find out when you come back. I see so many restaurants that are higher-end service restaurants that won't do that. See, I think that's a place where they work together. And what I can do now is I can give every server one more table. 
I can get better service and I can get better productivity and my servers all make more money per capita because they're, they're turning more tables over total through the night plus per cycle. But they won't take that step. And I think that's where there is places where automation can actually really help us. Um, Jacob says, jury duty, good or bad or indifferent. I got pulled uh, again, 118-mile round trip for one-fifth of my income. I think doing jury duty sucks. I think if we ran our society well, though, what I would say, I don't think we run our society well, but if we, if our society was well-run and well-ordered and we lived in a truly free nation, I would say jury duty, you are obligated to do it as your service to society, and if you have to go a few weeks on less income and if you have to be inconvenienced, that's part of being part of what we're all part of. But we don't live there, so that doesn't apply. Um I do look at pulling jury duty as an opportunity to do justice when it happens. And there's two ways I can do justice as a juror. I'm aware of the fact that it generally doesn't work. Even I think New Hampshire legalized uh, jury nullification. They could even you can even as a defendant say I want you to think about this law and whether it should exist or not and it hasn't really helped anybody get cleared. But I would do it. I would do it. So if you have somebody sitting in front of me for a victimless crime, I'm going to vote not guilty. And I think that is as much doing justice as voting guilty when somebody needs to be convicted. Thank God people with reasonable minds didn't figure out how to get out of jury duty in the Rittenhouse trial, for instance. I saw that as justice. I saw the whole thing as a grave injustice, but in the end, it was justified, what was done by the jury. And so I think there's... It's one of the places we can actually make a difference. And, you know, if you're guilty of something where you really harm somebody, then, yeah, I don't want you on the streets. And if, if, if me being on a jury does that, then fine. Right? And I, I don't know that I'll ever be on a jury because I think if I was a prosecutor, I would use that, all the things I'm on record with, to say we don't want this guy. And I think if I was a defense attorney and... I was defending a client that I actually thought was guilty. I uh, I don't think I'd want me either, right? Because you know I'm I'm going to throw the book at a guy if it, you know if you're guilty of like molesting children or something. I, 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 if if the criminal justice system is the best thing I can throw you into, then I'll do that, right? People think you're not a real anarchist. I, I, once a guy does something like that, I don't care what happens to you. If I had the option, I'd throw you in a wood chipper. Like feet first, really slow. But since I can't, I'll throw you into the criminal justice system, you know, and and let what happens to people like that happen to you. And I'm not going to feel bad about it at all. So yeah, I mean, I think jury duty is one of those few places where we can actually make a difference in an individual situation. And I do think a lot of people are put into our criminal justice system that do not belong there. Um. You, you get somebody with possession of drugs or something like that, and you're trying to get me to give a guilty, like, good luck. I don't know that those drugs were real. I don't trust, you know, whatever justification I had to give, I would give, too. Like, you know, no, not guilty. Um, but, you know, if you have somebody that, like, drove a truck over a bunch of people in a crowd, and, I, and you present me with the evidence that that was the person that did it and that they really did it, I want them to go into a deep, dark place. I want them to go so far back into jail that they're going to have to pump sunlight with a straw. Right? That's that I want them under the jail. More ways than one. 
So I, you know, to me that is a type of thing that we need to be cognizant of. It's it's something that still exists uh, in our society, and it is it is one of the places people can make a difference. Don't seem to have any more questions. We've got 97 people in the chat. That's quite a few. So I'm surprised. If you want to ask something, uh, I'll throw it out there one more time. I do want to say something here at the end, though. I appreciate all of you that have followed me on this journey through 2021. Um, I think that I had gotten to a place, and I mentioned this recently, where maybe I'd gotten a little too comfortable. And I wasn't really pushing to grow this show anymore. I was pushing to do a good job for everybody in it, put out a show every day, high quality, but I wasn't pushing to grow it. And I think one of the things that's like, rekindled that desire in me is these live streams to be able to interact with you guys to actually see people and, and understand you know the impact that doing a show like this can actually have on people so I'm going to commit to you guys um, absolutely that 2022 will be different from a TSP standpoint we're going to go back full on fire Someone asked me, best permaculture books for people who can't manage a PDC yet? I think it's very individual. Um, somebody just wrote me, and they, they got Gaia's Garden from Toby Hemingway, and they were uh, really kind of blown away with that. Sepp Holter's Permaculture would be another one. You know, I think, though for most people, I don't know how many books really can replace getting out and doing things. And you say for people that can't manage a PDC yet, I, I think there's a lot of ways that you can do that with distance learning, and maybe you should, um, because there's nothing that will replace a PDC, because a PDC is not, I think, what most people think it is. A permaculture design course is really a design course, and it's not just for designing gardens, right? It's for designing civilization, and you can only learn so much in a two-week course, and Uh, as Bill Mollison famously once said, and I agree, having taught in PDCs, it's a brutal course to teach. You have to do so much so quickly. I mean, you're condensing what would be like really a course that would be an entire year in a college into a two-week curriculum. Eight hours a day, you know, for two weeks. It's, it's a hard course to teach, but it's really rewarding to teach. And... uh It's really rewarding to take as well. I'm just trying to think, like, it depends on what you want, like, and what you're willing to invest. Like, the Permaculture Designer's Manual is a difficult read, but it's an incredible book. I think the best thing you could do, I'll see if I can find this for you, Dan, that's asking the question, and get it into the audio one. Check it about an hour when it goes up. Um, there is a PDF from Barking Frogs Permaculture. And it is a transcription of Bill Mollison lectures. Read that. That switched my mind completely, you know, eight years ago when I found that. Oh, and then the other thing is Bill has a whole series of a PDC taught by Bill. It's not the whole thing, but it's a lot of it. It's I have an Odyssey channel with it on. I'll put that in the show notes too. Watch that. I think you'll get more out of that than than reading books. The they're old videos and they were like probably shot on like a, a VHS camcorder and trans over to digital like 10 years ago or more so they're like at like 480 or something like that but man the, incredibly valuable um, 
Dennis says, uh, do you have a MetaMask wallet? I made an NFT. I'd like to give it to you. Shoot me an email. We can do that, I guess. I do have a MetaMask wallet. I don't really know how to do NFTs in it or anything like that, but uh, shoot me an email on that one. Um, Virtus, I, I can't, Verda, I'll, well, I'll call this person. Crypto is still on sale today. I agree. I think it is. Um, I'm going to tell you that I am really excited still about Algo. And I bought some Algo today for like a buck and a quarter on Algo. And that would be just something to look into. Uh, BFKC says, how are your trays holding up in the vertical farm? Miley made it a year before failing. I have one leak a little bit on the back side, but they're still fine. I haven't had any problems with them. I'm wondering if it has to do with the environment uh, or what have you uh, that they're in. Mia says, thanks for keeping me motivated. Hey, thanks for staying motivated. That's what keeps me motivated is when y'all are motivated. MP2Sweet, would solar panels work well for aquaponics? Maybe. It depends. What are you trying to do? Uh, how much power do you need? How much solar do you have? Is grid an option and you're using solar as a backup or are you off-grid and you have no choice? Like, solar panels will do anything that grid power will do if you have enough money and enough sun and a big enough system. I think it can work really well. And I think one of the things that we can do with aquaponics that people don't realize is we go into a timer-based model, and a lot of our ebb and flow systems and things like that do not need to run all the time. And they can run the least at night. So I think that there's a, a lot of opportunity to move more and more to that. Um, Larry says, PDC question mark from when I was talking earlier. That's a permaculture design course. It's a two-week certification course that's done by some permaculture teachers. I think it's worth it's worth taking if you have the time and the money to do so. I, I will say this about PDCs. If all you want is to grow a lot of food in your backyard, you probably shouldn't take a PDC. You probably shouldn't. You should probably start getting on YouTube and watching people in climates as close to yours as possible and how they garden and what works best where you are. Uh, and if nothing else, get out there and just start growing and learning. And then when you have a problem as a gardener, don't see it as a bad thing. See it as an opportunity to learn. right? Or when you get into livestock and you have a problem, it's not a bad thing that you have a problem. Every single person that's, that's farmed or gardened or kept livestock has had that problem. And now you know exactly what your problem is and you know how to, how to research it and how to get past it. And then once you do, you have checked that off the list of things that you know. And now you have an opportunity not only to be a better guardian of livestock or be a better producer of food from a gardening standpoint, you have an opportunity to be a better mentor to others that want to do the same thing. Um, Jack, you still use, recommend the Harris Battery Bank in the toolbox of the truck. My truck is doing really poorly, and it needs some work that I'm not willing to put into it right now. And so I'm not using it, but it's still there, and it works perfectly. So that's... That's really not that's it's not a fair answer for me to say I haven't been using it recently because the truck's not going anywhere or running. Uh, do you mean Jake Robinson's do I mean growth in numbers or other metrics? I don't know what the fuck you're talking about, Jake, as usual. Um, maybe you mean growth of the show. Uh, that would obviously be numbers, if that's what you're asking about. Is R on sale? Pirates are still selling from pennies. Uh, I think R's in a good good target buy zone. Um I would have. It went under a buck for a while. I would have bought a bunch more, except I have a bunch. Like there's, there's a point where I think you're invested in, some, especially alts. 
again, most of my most of my holdings are Bitcoin and Ethereum. And most of what I buy going forward is Bitcoin. Right? I have a substantial um, actual gap there between my Ether and my Bitcoin. I have more money in Ether, but it's only because I got on the Ether train much earlier in the game than I did the Bitcoin train, and Ether did so well for me. Um, but if I'm gonna, if I decide, you know what, I got an extra $200 I want to sweep into crypto this week, I'm going to buy Bitcoin nine times out of ten. Um, but yeah, um, Ben Falk's book, that's a great book. I was kind of drawing a blank there when I was asked about books because I don't think in books as much, right? Um, but yeah, Resilient Farm and Homestead is an incredible book uh, by Ben Falk, and especially for those of you in more northern climates. Not necessarily the northeast, but more northern cold weather climates, uh, definitely. And I, I, I keep mentioning this book, and I, I probably need to do a show on it. There's a book, and it's it's probably thicker and denser than the Permaculture Designer's Manual. It's by David Holgram, and it's called Retro Suburbia. It's an amazing book, but it's it's high level and it's hands on the ground, and it switches between them a lot, and it's written a lot like the PDC. Right, you can see a lot of what Bill and David did in the early years in this book in the way that it's presented. So it's not something you can just sit down and leisurely read. But what I love about Retro Suburb, and it's expensive, right? I think he only sells it direct, I'm pretty sure. Um, I bought a copy. I'm glad I did. It focuses on the fact that the majority of people today live in the suburbs. They already have a house. They're not, like, you can talk about all these ways to design a house. Most people are not going to design and build a house from the, from the ground up. They're going to have a house somewhere, they're going to be in a community, and they need to make it work. And they need to make it work with the community around them. And that's why I really, really love that book. Um, any good references for retrofitting and managing a greenhouse? I, I really don't know. I think that's something that you have to kind of look at and, and kind of do for yourself. I don't know of a book on retrofitting a greenhouse. Um, there's a lot of books on greenhouse growing. I can't think of the one guy, is it Perry? Neil Perry, uh, the one is like four season gardening or something. Somebody out there in the uh, the chat will remember what I'm talking about. It's been out forever. He's kind of from the Northeast area. He's a New England guy. Um, that would be probably the best one to look at for understanding greenhouse growing. And then the other thing with greenhouses, you always got to ask yourself, why do I need a greenhouse? What do I get from a greenhouse? Like in, in in Texas, a lot of what you might get from a greenhouse is you're actually knocking down the UV because it's so intense in, in most of our season. So you're using more of a, you're using more of a shade material, maybe not even a shade cloth, but like an opaque plastic that knocks things down. And you actually want to keep the greenhouse really really ventilated. Where if you're in a northern climate, you're trying to get a lot more thermal gain out of it. So really think about what you're trying to do and how that applies to your situation because. The opinions people have on greenhouses are incredibly very Elliot Coleman, that Mia, you're correct. It's Elliot Coleman for season harvest. I would totally recommend that to anybody that's a cool climate grower for greenhouses. You know, I would look at geothermal, low-tech geothermal, thermal battery, earth battery, if I'm in a northern climate here. None of that makes any sense here. I mean, it, the limited amount of time we really need heat, you, you're better off either just using propane or uh, something like that, because you don't need it. 
But now if you can use geothermal, the other way to create cooling, now you got something. So you really got to think about what you're trying to accomplish uh, when it comes to greenhouse. I think that will wrap up there, guys. Um, I, I hope you guys enjoyed this one. Again, thank you to all of you on a, uh, on a week like this to be here. I, I didn't think we might, I thought we might have like 40 or 50 people maximum today in the live feed because this is a week where many people have family in town and, you know, I know there's other things you could be doing. Uh, thanks for being with me all year. Again, tomorrow I'll have Kingsley and, Kingsley and Aaron on from Float and we're going to go into some things I purposely did not go into with Alex and Alexander last week. There's a bunch of stuff. I'm like, and I was like, I caught myself like, and I'm like, no, I need to save that. To, we're going to have, you know, another member of the team back so fast to hold on for that. If you have questions for them, send it to me at jackofthesurvivalpodcast.com, TSPC float in the subject line to make sure I don't miss it and uh, try to work it into the interview for you. Uh, but there's a lot of exciting things going on there. We're going to have the Christmas special on Wednesday, and I'm gone until New Year's. And I want to remind you again, guys, the, uh, the Anarchopolical Watch Party, it's going to be different, but it's going to be freaking awesome. And I really am looking for someone that could be uh, kind of a hands-on instructor for my 3D printer and getting it set up. Somebody asked me which kind I have. I don't even remember. Email me. I'll find the box and I'll tell you. Um, if, you're, if you're the person that would do it, we'll worry about it. I'll make sure I have whatever we need here. But I think with a small group like that, we could actually, hey, this is how you do everything. Because I think it's one of the things, like, the reason I bought one was, well, first of all, because Sal's a really good guy and I, I felt like supporting him. So I was like, I can buy a 3D printer. But I think it's on the list of things that are disruptive, that let us be gremlins, right? That let us be gremlins. When I have basically a manufacturing facility in my, my home where I can make anything from some cool little thing that seals up the top of a coffee bag and opens up like a bottle and dumps the beans out so they don't go bad, which is somebody just gave me one of those at the workshop. It was really, Nicole gave me, it was freaking awesome 3D printed to parts of my aquaponics system. So the fact that I could, you know, I could manufacture firearms if I want to. And by the way, legally in the United States, right? And, and anything in between. You, you start adding things like a CNC router to, to your layout, and you start to actually build a small manufacturing capacity in your own home. And then you produce your own food. And then you go into your own world of finance with crypto. I think those are like three of the most disruptive things we can do. And I got two of them kind of skinned. This 3D printing one, I just haven't had the time to start from the ground up and watch YouTube videos and all. And I'd like to kind of uh, accelerate that. And then maybe I could, some of you guys that really like 3D printing, maybe I'd do a better job of uh, actually pushing it and presenting it. And I think it'd be a good thing for people to learn while they're here. So I would really, uh, really appreciate it if somebody would reach out on that one. And we'll work some kind of discount out or something. And like I said, give you a guaranteed seat. Again, that's going to go on sale real quick. Mark your calendars. Uh, it will be the 8th of January, and it is for the 17th and 18th of February is the event. And Dorothy and I talked about it, and we're not going to make it like a, a big push to do it, but we may have some people even that time of year that want to camp because you're not afraid to camp in the cold or whatever. And I said we're going to do show up Thursday morning. you got all day Thursday, all day Friday. Anybody that's going to be in town that wants to show up and set up on Wednesday, we'll have a little reception and things like that too. Uh, and, uh, you know, have a few drinks and have some brats or something like that. And uh, anyway, guys, I really, uh, again, appreciate you guys being with me today. And uh, we talked about a lot of stuff today. If you want to find any of this stuff, I'll try to remember, get on over to the audio episode. 
And if there's something you're looking for, a link I promise, because I'm going to forget some shit today, I promise you. If there's a link I promise to put in there and you don't see it, um, let me know in the comments and I'll get it added. Thanks a lot, guys, and I will catch you tomorrow with the, uh, the final official show of the year. I really can't But baby, stay. it's cold outside. I've got to go away. Baby, it's cold outside. This evening has been I'm hoping that you drop so in very nice. I'll hold your hands there just like I My mother will start to worry. Beautiful, what's your hurry? And father will be pacing the floor. Listen to that fireplace roll. So really I'd better Beautiful, scurry. please don't hurry. Well, Be just a half a drink more Put some records on while I pour The neighbors might think Baby, it's bad out there Say, what's in this No cats to be had out there I wish I knew how like starlight To now. break the spell I'll take your hat Your hair looks well I ought to say no, no Mind no, if I'm moving closer? At least I'm gonna say that I tried. What's the sense of hurting my pride? I really can't stay. Baby, don't hold out. Ah, but, but it's cold, cold Simply must go But baby, it's cold outside The answer is baby, no Baby, it's cold outside This welcome has been How lucky that you so in So nice and warm Look out the window at that storm My sister will be Suspicious. Gosh, your lips look delicious. My brother will be there at the door. Waves upon tropical shore. My maiden aunt's mind is vicious. Oh, your lips look delicious. Well, maybe just a cigarette more. Never such a pleasure before. I've got to get home. Baby, you freeze out there. Say, lend me your coat. It's up to your knees. Out there, you've really been great. I when you touch my hair. Don't you see? How can you do this thing to me? There's bound to be talk tomorrow. Think of my lifelong sound. At least there will be plenty in fly. If you caught pneumonia and I, I really can't stay. Get rid of that holdout. How about it's cold?